Hi, this is Dustin Hobbs with the California Mortgage Bankers Association. Welcome to Connect, our podcast featuring one-on-one interviews with movers and shakers in the mortgage industry. As you know, we've been uh, uh, during the uh, COVID-19 crisis here while everyone is sort of uh, stuck at home, working from home. Uh, we've been trying to provide you a little bit more uh, content by providing some bonus weekly episodes of our normally monthly uh, podcast here. This is actually the final of our weekly podcast here in May. And then here in June, we'll be going back to monthly podcasts. So make sure. And if you've missed any of our uh, episodes the last couple of weeks, you can always go to our uh, YouTube channel and subscribe there. You can listen to it on SoundCloud or on Apple Podcasts as well. So today I'm excited to welcome in uh, Carl Tyree. Carl is the EVP and Chief Sales Officer at ArchMI. Carl's spoken at our conferences before and uh, Arch has been a member for a long time. And so we're excited to hear his thoughts on sort of where uh, the industry is at right now, both in the crisis and uh, sort of beyond the crisis and where he sees things uh, going forward. So welcome, Carl. Thanks for having me, Dustin. Yeah. Well, let's uh, jump right in here. Let's find out. I always like to ask this question and get a little bit uh, personal here. Let's find out what's your backstory. How did you find your way uh, sort of the MI side of the business? Sure. Um, my entire career is really based in uh, housing finance. I did a college internship at a local bank and that was in a small town called Salisbury, Maryland. I went to Salisbury University and I worked in my internship was in the mortgage group. And ironically, there was just one mortgage insurance company that that bank used. And coming out of college, um, I ended up reconnecting with that account manager for that mortgage insurance company and subsequently became her account, uh, her account rep. So I've kind of had, I've had three stints in uh, mortgage insurance. That was my first one. Then I went to work for uh, Nomura Securities. It's a Japanese investment bank. They had a non-agency MBS desk in New York. I worked there for for some time. And then ironically went back to uh, that mortgage insurance firm because I thought post-financial crisis, that was a safer place to be, Uh, but not the case. Um, And unfortunately that mortgage insurance firm didn't make it. And then I went to work for Aquin Financial, uh, buying and selling mortgage servicing rights and working on a couple other mortgage-related projects, and then I came to Arch when they started. I was the uh, seventh employee of Arch Mortgage Insurance. So Arch Capital Group's been around for a while, but the MI company was founded, um, or I should say they acquired a company called CMG MI, rebranded it, and we started at the end of 2013 and actively wrote business in February of 2014. So to be with them from, you know, first master policy to see the first loans, through the acquisition of United Guarantee, it's it's been a it's been a good time. And, yeah, that's and, interesting. Uh, to start, would you say employee number seven? That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, and, and there's there's a good number of those uh, those employees still there, which uh, makes me happy. So that's good. That really says something about the culture there. It's a great. Um, culture. So speaking of the culture and what's going on at Arch, I mean, how are you guys dealing with the COVID nineteen crisis? I mean, I'm sure you guys are you know working from home and doing a lot of remote uh, remote stuff, but how is it affecting you guys? So for the most part, it's it's been good. We've successfully migrated roughly 825, 830 people to uh, remote working, uh, working from home with very few, if any, people go into the office. Most of the sales force that, that I'm responsible for has been working remotely with the exception of my sales operations team. So I would say, like a lot of other big firms, we've had a business continuity plans. But I think what's fascinating is you look at business continuity and everybody 
is able to continue, but can you thrive in the environment, which is more, in my opinion, business resiliency. So I think we've not only you know been able to continue by working all remote, but actually thrive in it and do very well. So it's uh, again another sense of accomplishment with with the Arch team. So do you see some of those things that you guys have have uh, um, have sort of taken up during this crisis as something you'll carry forward even you know beyond the you know crisis when people are able to go back in the office? Yeah, it's a, so I think. Um, you know, there's a lot of times where we've got people in the office and then we have other people that would dial in, you know, let's say pre-COVID to a conference call line. Whereas now we use Ring Central, it's a version of Zoom. Uh, I think that piece might stay on. I think there's a lot of value in seeing other people's faces. And, you know, especially when you're in conversation, you might be debating topics or it's good to see facial expressions. You get a better read on how people feel about something. So I think that piece will continue on. Um, I do think there's uh, people, I know I do, I miss the human interaction piece. So where some people think this is like the permanent future, a lot of people working from home, I probably tend to be the contrarian view on that. And I think while we're able to do it, I think face-to-face -face and human interaction will come back and vote well, quite rapidly. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that there's no substitution in the end for, you know, shaking someone's hand and looking them in the actual eye, not, you know, Agreed. a thousand miles away. Sure. Um, so when you're talking to your uh, your clients and customers and prospects these days, what, what are some of the big pain points that you see that they're going through? Yeah, so, you know, I think the best way to quantify what I see is, I, I call it the three L's, right? So there's, there's leverage, there's liquidity, and then there's liability. And I'll kind of explain the liability piece, but the leverage story, those pain points seem to seem to have passed that, which were, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the issues around um, lines of credit for MBA securities when it comes to hedging the portfolio and things of that nature. And that seemed to be more of a March, maybe beginning of April story. And that seems to have worked out. The liquidity piece is, you know, I'm originating loans, I'm creating assets, where am I selling them? Right, and we've seen the, the very quick and um, almost you know complete annihilation of non-QM. I think from a servicing rights standpoint on the MSRs, which I've got a little background in, it's been fascinating to watch assets that were you know mortgage servicing rights that were four or five multiple become almost of no value in no time, and you're seeing that come back a little bit. Um, so that's kind of the the liquidity piece. Right. And then the liability, which I would consider to be contingent liability and managing that in the pain point. So I've created a mortgage asset. I've manufactured it properly. And when I go to monetize those assets, whether MSRs or whole loans uh, or direct sales to the agencies, what's the liability in that loan coming back to me? Or what's the, the potential that that loan gets repriced? Right. And we've seen a lot of activity with that. So. I see those three things have been the pain points through this pandemic for most lenders. Gotcha. So, I mean, you mentioned uh, non-QM. I'm curious, uh, where do you see sort of the, the future, both, I guess, near term and then uh, sort of long term for specifically uh, non-QM lending? It's a, it's a great question. I mean, my gut feel is that I think it's going to be frozen. And I think it'll be frozen for a while for two reasons. One is there's not a overwhelmingly massive amount of appetite for owning mortgage credit risk right now, right? And so I think some of those uh, conduits, 
I think they'll be successful in doing securitizations. I've actually seen a couple of pre-sale reports that some people bring stuff to market, but you know, what's their ability to move all those mortgage-backed securities? Because I think securitization is the ultimate um, end game for most non-QM loans. But I think that will work its way back over time. But I think more importantly is there's so many other loans for loan officers to focus on. And I think they're generally speaking, not every single loan, but generally speaking, easier to originate. So as a loan officer, if I've got all this low hanging fruit in the yeah. form of agency, uh, you know, Fannie Freddie refinances and the purchase market's amazingly still strong. I think we saw some numbers on that this week. Yeah. Um, and VA Earls and FHA Streamlines, I just don't see loan officers focusing on non-QM for quite some time. You think that'll be sort of a stay in a, in a, you know, maybe an extreme niche position for now? I think so, right. There's always going to be specialty firms. There's, you know, we see firms that are very specialized in it, and I think they will have success. Um, I think they'll likely, for those that acquire loans from third parties, I think they'll likely have more success in the broker channel than the correspondent channel. I think there are some people that got jammed up and got stuck with some loans uh, that they closed and then the buyers kind of disappeared. So I think from an origination standpoint, they'll tip their toe back in there. But there is a need to, to help that segment of the, of the business. So it, it'll generally make its way back. Got it. So um, in the last, you know, obviously the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months, uh, government has been, government in general, whether it's, you know, state or federal, has been you know, really, really active in uh, trying to find ways to, you know, both help borrowers, the larger economy and specific industries. What do you see, I mean, if you could wave a magic wand and, uh, you know, make uh, either the state, federal uh, regulators, the government, Congress, you know, take one action that you think would help borrowers and lenders right now, what, what would it be? Well, one action is hard to tough, but I will say, I mean, I think yesterday was a really big one, right? When the FHFA announced that borrowers that utilize forbearance in this stressed time are going to be able to refin refinance into Fannie and Freddie products. Um, and there's some details around that, but I, I think that is huge, right? I think we want to be as inclusive as we can to let every homeowner access these near historic lows or in some cases, historic low rates. And I think that's twofold. One, it's great from a mortgage standpoint, right? It keeps your constituents and my customers very busy, and that's awesome. I think from a macro economy standpoint, the more money we put in, in people's hands um, and they get out there and spend it, that's a really good thing. We're very much a consumer-driven economy, and anything that helps that rebound, I think, is very good. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, so let's uh, switch gears a little bit here. What uh, would you say, uh, just sort of maybe stepping back away from the crisis for a moment, what do you see as maybe the most important tech-driven or tech-related innovation or change that you've seen with your lender customers um, and maybe something towards the uh, borrower experience side or I don't know, maybe somewhere else that uh, maybe that's caught your attention in the last year or so? Yeah, so, you know, one piece of technology I don't think is new, but it's so critical right now in these massive volume times are the point of sale systems. Um, I'm lucky enough to have our industry technology group led by a gentleman named Will Vickers. Um, he's on my team and he continually educates me on all the products that are coming out and the technology lenders use. And, and there's a lot of great technology. It's kind of hard to pick one, but I can't imagine with this level of volume, loan officers having to sit in front of every individual or be on the phone 
with every borrower and take the applications. So having been someone that just refied myself, you know, and I've used the same two loan officers over all my transactions, um, he sent me a link, I hit the link, I filled out essentially the URLA for him, um, and it dumps right into his LOS system and away it goes. So I just think technology that can help even individuals scale their business is a really good is is a really good thing. So I would say the, the point of sales systems. Gotcha. Um, and maybe this is related, but uh, you know, in speaking with your your clients, prospects, customers, that sort of thing over the past you know year or so, where do you see that uh, lenders are are uh, you know doing something good? Maybe that's not people aren't catching. Maybe that's not being written up in Housing Wire. It's not you know in the front of everyone's mind. But you're seeing something that they're doing really well. So I would kind of expand the the term lender to include lenders that have servicing books. And one yeah. of the when I think relative to the financial crisis, I think servicers are doing a great job. I've been lucky enough to be on the phone with several really large ones, and I think their ability to deal with the number of inbound calls, and what specifically what they're really doing well is, I think they're doing a great job of educating people when they call in on the difference between forbearance and forgiveness. And I think that's huge. huge. And I think, um, you know, when you, when you, you know, sometimes the news likes to take different narratives and, and I've seen some news things where borrowers seem confused, you know, on what's going to happen when the forbearance period ends. But I think there's been some additional clarification from the Federal Housing Finance Agency. And I think servicers are very quick to take the new policies and procedures and communicate them to borrowers. So I've been highly encouraged by the servicing community and their activities relative to 2008. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I would imagine that just about everybody in the industry who's got either mortgage or real estate in their title has had someone in their personal life ask them, I know I've had it three or four times, you know, what happens with this forbearance? What is this? I mean, basically asking the question you, you posed there that, you know, and, you know, that the government needs to clarify and that then servicers need to clarify that it's not forgiveness, it's forbearance. There's a big, there's a big difference between those two. But, you know, to hear that servicers are doing that and stand on top of that, I think that's really going to help borrowers down the road and, you know, cut out a lot of extra, you know, problems and, and uh, noise that I think, you know, just get in the way of helping the borrowers that really do need help. For sure. For sure. Definitely a job well done by the servicing community. Right. So um, next question for you, and this one is of particular interest to me here, um, being uh, doing sort of the, the marketing and communications here at, at the association. I noticed when I was doing some research on what you guys wrote to at Arch that uh, you've got, you know, the Insights uh, podcast now and the blog that I will say is active, which, you know, in looking at uh, many other of our members and non-members and just companies in the industry, you see a lot of companies that have blogs, but you know, maybe the latest post was 2018 or something. So they're not really active. So I, you know, credit to you guys that you've got, you know, both the podcast and an active blog, you're doing a ton of webinars. You know, what advice would you have for uh, companies that are looking to expand into areas like this? Maybe they're saying right now, I've got to make sure I'm in front of my customers and, but I'm intimidated by the resources or the effort it's going to take to do all this stuff. It's just intimidating. So what would you say to a company like that that wants to sort of expand in those areas? I would say two things. One, you got to dive in. You got to try it, right? And there's always natural aversion to change. 
Um, I've been incredibly impressed. Our sales staff has adopted, we use a particular video company that helps us produce um, videos, which in times where you can't see people in person, it's probably the next best thing we can do. And so I've seen people that have, you know, there's always people that take it and run with it right off the bat. And then there's people in the middle that are like, I want to try it, but it's going to take a little bit. I think this was the little bit to push people over the edge. And you just got to dive in and, and, and give it a try. You also, when it comes to the blogs, um, and to your point, which you made is you've got to feed the beast, right? And so you've got to be meaningful and committed to come up with new content all the time. And I think that's one of the things uh, people should do. The other thing is for those people that just generally don't know where to start, um, we've made a huge effort to provide webinars and, um, and video calls to uh, our, our latest training thing right now is how to build your virtual world. And I would say the first couple ones were instantly oversubscribed. They went very well. And we've got a couple lined up and there's, you know, there's still a little bit of room for participants. So anybody who sees this and although uh, I think by the time they see this, one will be done, but we've got another one coming up uh, next week. They just need to uh, contact their local account manager. And, and, and we provide a lot of training in those regards to help people kind of transition to um, a non face to face interaction world. Yeah. Well, and again, I think that, you know, anybody in the industry who's looking to make sure they stay in front of their customers and looking for a good example of how to how to do it right. I think they, you know, do no worse than looking at you guys. You guys have absolutely got got it down with, again, the podcast, blog, webinars. You're doing a great job of that. So hats off to you guys. I appreciate that. Sure. And so, you know, as someone on the on the sales end of the business and someone I think you've been in the sales side for quite a while now. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on sort of networking in this COVID-19 world, how you how you personally are going about staying in front of your customers and how you're doing that without the face-to-face -face that you'd get at conferences and cocktail receptions and stuff that we've you know, been used to for so long. It's a great question. I think, you know, as we kind of mentioned before, I think at the end of the day, there's nothing that's going to be quite the same as human interaction. Um, but we're working our best to to kind of bridge the time period till we can get back to that. The video messaging has been huge and it's very well received whether you're sending personal videos to individuals um, or you're sending kind of a, a larger, a video for a larger distribution list. I would say on the videos to be very authentic is probably one of the best advices I can give. And I think you see with a lot of people. We recently had in, uh, one of our account managers she had actually, you know, sometimes when you shoot the video, it takes a little time, right? It takes a couple takes. And she'd actually put together more or less a blooper reel of her misses, and she put it out there. And the number of likes and the number of times it's been seen and kind of the great comments from it, it was a great play, right? And I think people, it gives you a chance to have that little moment of, uh, of light communication. Right. Everything's not so serious in the moment. Everything's not so stressed. And, you know, making people laugh like that went a long way, I think, from a business standpoint. When it comes to conferences, cocktail receptions, things of that nature, you know, I think we're at some point in time, we'll all be stepping our toe back out. And I'm not sure when that's going to be for Arch. I'm not sure when that's going to be for everybody. Um, but I do think we'll we'll allow people to go to conferences sometime very soon or soon. 
Um, but maybe not the same size. Maybe not, you know, for a national or secondary MBA, maybe we're not taking the same size contingency, something of that nature. You know, right. we'll, we'll ramp our way back into it again. Are you guys seeing a lot of uh, conferences go virtual? Are you guys participating in some of the, the virtual conferences? And, and, you know, what has that experience been like? Yeah, I've seen so many. You know, I think um, I know yesterday the NBA kind of had their state of the union um, or state of the industry, I should say, is probably the correct term that, that they used. Uh, I, I do know our people jumped on as many of our people jumped on that as they could. And we've been participating or trying to host um, even down at the real level. I had another account manager that participated with a um, high producing loan officer that wanted to do a panel so his realtors could see, hear from other industry experts about what's going on. So, you know, we're doing our best to participate in those. Um, I'm not sure about the massive conferences, their ability to truly go virtual. Maybe there's a hybrid version that comes out um, and we'll do our best to support all, all trade, trade groups the best we can, whether it's in person or, or virtual. Yeah, I mean, we're sort of just on a, at an association level, we're looking at the same sort of uh, conundrum there, especially with the larger events. And how do you, in some of the conferences that are very much focused on uh, deal making and, and networking and not as much on the on the content of the panels per se, and uh, how do you replicate that virtually? I'm not sure there is a way. And so we've been looking sort of at the hybrid model too and seeing if there's a way to sort of get some people in a venue somewhere and then do the rest uh, uh, online or in a virtual format. Yeah, it makes uh, sense. So we're about out of time here, but I wanted to get uh, sort of your, your final thoughts here, a closing thought on maybe a, give us one thing that uh, you think that lenders should know that they don't know. So, yeah, you know what, I'll, st I'll stick with our, our core competencies and our expertise, which is, you know, mortgage credit risk and managing mortgage credit risk. I think you're gonna see the mortgage insurance industry shine quite a bit through the cycle this time around. And I know, you know, coming out of the financial crisis, that wasn't the case. You know, three mortgage insurers didn't make it and they went into to subsequent runoff. Um, but we've done a really good job as an industry attracting, or should I say crowding in more private capital. So mortgage insurance firms use classic reinsurance agreements to share some of the risk. And they've also used, and, and we've used a lot, or we've issued a lot of what's called mortgage insurance linked notes, which allows capital, uh, capital market participants to participate in a mezzanine layer of risk. And because of that, mortgage insurance firms are in better situation than ever before, right? To handle this kind of downturn and downturn in this part of the cycle. Part of the reason that we've been able as an industry and specifically Arch crowd in so much capital is that our ability to assess, manage and price that mortgage credit risk is better than it's ever been, right? And so I tell all that background to you because I want lenders to know that there, is been, there has been and likely will be some more volatility in mortgage insurance premiums, right? And it's important to appropriately price the risk and there are going to be more losses than before. So there's plenty of debate these days about a V-shaped recovery or you know, a U or a W, but the unfortunate thing is that the 30 million people that have lost jobs, hopefully as many of those people get jobs again, 
but the likely story is some of those jobs are lost for some time, which means there will be some uptick in foreclosures relative to before, um, and there'll be claims for mortgage insurance firms. And it's hard to figure that out with forbearance, you know, which loans are going to be delinquent after and which are not. But, you know, it's, it's just, I would say all that kind of wraps together that mortgage insurance firms are in great shape, Arch is in great shape, um, but the risk is being priced appropriately now, and that's going to mean volatility. Could be up or down in MI pricing in yes. certain areas. Right. Thanks for leaving us on a good note there with uh, the health and, and uh, strength of uh, Arch and, and the uh, MI industry in general. Um, again, if uh, you'd like to view this, uh, uh, this podcast episode or any of our previous episodes, you can follow us on our YouTube channel or on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. Carl, hey, thanks for joining us today and uh, make sure that uh, you join us next month in June for our next episode of Connect. We'll see you then.